0: Welcome to Timberlake, it is so good to see you. My name is Shane, I'm on the team here. I want to welcome our campuses as well, whether you're joining us from Redmond, Issaquah, Duval, Castle Rock, or online, Uh, we're glad that you're here. This is week two of a series called Thrive, where we are looking at what it looks like for us to sort of do our best and thrive in different areas in our lives. And so last weekend, we talked about thriving in community and what that looks like uh, here at Timberlake. And then this weekend, we're going to be talking about sort of spiritual disciplines and thriving in our relationship with God. So as we kick off uh, this uh, weekend, I have two questions for you, all right? Question number one, have you ever been in a fight? Now, I'm not talking like... Uh, Like a verbal disagreement. This is physical, okay? Like physical fight. And not like you pushed them, they pushed you, and then the teacher came. I'm talking like fists were flying, cuss words. If there wasn't cuss words, it wasn't a real fight. So how many of you have been in a fight? Okay, put your hands up. Okay, violent church. Okay, good to know. All right, now question number two, and this is where we get a little vulnerable. How many of you have ever lost a fight? Go ahead, raise your hand. Some of you, your hand is not up, and you're lying right now. Now, as some people will say, nobody wins a fight, and they are wrong. I have been on the giving end and the receiving end, and I agree with Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, In middle school, I uh, was going to get in a fight with this kid named Tony. Now, Tony was upset at me for some reason. I can't even remember why, and he wanted to fight me, and I was scared. Because back then, they, they didn't just pass kids on to the next grade if they didn't do well, if they failed. This was, if you remember this time, this is when they didn't give out eighth place trophies. You didn't get a participation cookie. And they didn't just pass you on to the next grade to help your self-esteem. It made the schools dangerous, right? And so Tony, he was driving to school in the sixth grade. Like full beard, tattoos, the works. And he wanted to fight me, and I was scared. Except... I had this friend, Alex. Now, Alex was one year away from collecting Social Security. Alex had failed more times than Tony. And so Alex stepped in, and he stepped in between us. And I said, I put my hand on Alex, and I said, you know what, Alex, step aside. I said, I got this. I said, Tony, listen, you may be twice my size, but enough is enough. And and you may be a bully, but I'm gonna stand up for you, and I'm gonna fight you right now. No, I didn't say that. I said, Alex, get him. And then I hid behind Alex. Why did I do that? Because when you have access to someone who's, who's bigger than you and stronger than you and smarter than you, 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 don't, you don't let your pride well up in that moment. You get humble and you step aside and you let them get involved. And here's what's true this weekend, is that we have access to a God who's, who's bigger and stronger and more powerful than us, and he wants to get involved in our lives if we'll let him. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations forever and ever amen paul's saying that that god can do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine and his power can be at work in our lives that's what thriving with god looks like that his power would be at work in and through our lives and that's when spiritual fruit begins to develop now here's what i understand is that we're all here today and we all come from, from different backgrounds. We all come from different places. We all have different experiences when it comes to our relationship with God and, and what's sort of in our God bucket. Like what comes to mind when we think of God and how he wanna in, wants to interact in our world and, and in our lives. And so before we get into what this looks like, let me set some parameters and let me tell you what we're not talking about this weekend. So here's what it doesn't look like. There's a fill-in in your note sheet and here's the first one. This, th- thriving with God doesn't mean that everything's perfect. It doesn't mean that everyone loves me. And it doesn't mean that every problem disappears. Now some of us, we've been in, in a church or in an environment where, where this was sort of the picture that was painted where a a well-meaning or maybe not so well-meaning pastor has gotten up and, and sort of painted this idealized picture of the Christian faith that's so removed from reality that it actually is pretty discouraging. I've heard people say that if you just loved God more, if you just cared more, if you just read your Bible more, if God just loved you more, if you just tried harder, then everything would work out and everything would be okay. Make God your choice and you'll drive a Rolls Royce. And that is not true. So if you're here this weekend and and your life's not perfect, and and there's some relational conflict, and you've got some problems that you're dealing with, have hope, because here's what that means. It means you're human, and it means that you can have a thriving relationship with God in the midst of all of that. Because here's what's true for all of us. Every season brings new challenges and new opportunities. It doesn't matter whether you've been following Jesus for one day or 30 years. Every season brings new challenges and new opportunities. It doesn't matter if you're here this weekend and and you're just checking out faith for the first time. Here's what you've discovered in life. Every season we go through brings new challenges and new opportunities. And so what we have to decide is how will we navigate them and how will we choose to include God in the process? Here's the goal for for this message and really the goal for our lives. Here's how I would define thriving with God. That every day I would intentionally make room for God. That every day I would choose to intentionally make some room for God in my life. Uh, A few months ago, Pastor Ben and I were down in Los Angeles for this church conference and it was lunchtime, and, and so we decided to go and spend some time with God. And so we went to the place where we feel the love of Jesus the most in an Outburger. And so we we pull in and Pastor Ben's driving and, and we're trying to find a parking lot spot and the lot's totally full. There's there's no spot anywhere. So we're driving around and and nothing's opening up. And finally we see this guy and he's walking to his car, and so we're sort of like creeping behind him. And and he gets into his car and he turns his car on and we're waiting for the spot. And he, then he just he just sits there. And he's he's gonna pull out. His car's on, but he's he's not doing anything. And so we're sitting there waiting and And to be honest, I was waiting very patiently, but Pastor Ben was getting a little hangry. And so he turns to me and he says, Shane, why don't you get out and knock on his window and and see if he's leaving? I'm like, okay. So I get out of the car and I walk up to his window and I'm thinking, please don't punch me in the face. Please don't punch me in the face. And so I'm like, sort of knock on the glass. I'm like, are you leaving? And and he's like, yeah. And, And I'm like, are you leaving right now? And, and he's like, okay. And I'm like, okay, Jesus loves you, but I don't right now. And so I go and I, I get back in the car and, and then finally he, he pulls out and he, he leaves. Has that ever happened to you? Where you're, you're waiting for someone and, and, and you're like, come on, make some room for me. And they just don't seem to be making any room. Now I'm, I'm not making this up. This is true. In the Journal of Applied Social Psychology, somebody who who they've studied hundreds and hundreds of drivers, they found that we actually take longer to leave a parking space if we know that someone's waiting for it than if nobody's waiting at all. This is crazy. There's something perverse inside of us that when we see somebody's waiting for something that we have, we're like, this is mine. And we get a little protective and we'll wait a little bit longer for them just to keep them from getting in there. It's horrible, but it's true. You've experienced this. Now, the the article said that if they're like in a hurry or they're desperate, they're they're like late for something, if they give a little honk, people that honk, the the person, they wait four times longer to give them the spot. Now, this is true in other arenas as well. They've, They've found that the busier a restaurant is, the more people that are waiting in line, the longer people linger at their table. This is my space. I don't want to make room for you. So how are you making room for God in your life? And and what could that sort of look like? That every day you would make room for God. Here's sort of a picture of what that could look like. It's found in Psalms chapter one. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and day and night. So so they're connected to God. They're, They're spending time with God. They're intentionally making space with God. And then here's what happens in verse three. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So how do we live this out? I wrote down four ways that we can make room for God in our lives. The first one is this. Work on the inside first. Work on the inside first. In Matthew chapter 23, it it tells this account of an interesting encounter that Jesus has with an individual named Zacchaeus. And here's what it says. Sorry, uh, this is Jesus talking to some Pharisees. We'll get to this Zacchaeus one in a little bit. Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the dish but the inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and the dish and then the outside will be clean as well. So Jesus, he gets a little angry. He's having this conversation with some religious rulers. And these people, they, would, they were very concerned about their reputation and how people would see them. And, and if you read through that, the Gospels, you'll see that they would, when they would pray, they would stand on the street and pray very loudly so that people would hear them. When they would give to the poor, they'd make a big show of it. When they would fast, they would put ash on their faces so people would know they're fasting. And they were, they were very concerned on, on how people thought of them. They were concerned with the outside. And so Jesus is angry, and he's saying, you know what? All that stuff is good, but all that stuff, that's, that's an outcome. All that stuff should be a byproduct of a healthy heart. He says, you got to work on the inside first, First clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Uh, On Halloween night in 1900, a 10-year-old boy named Ike wanted to go trick-or-treating with his older brothers. When his parents told him that he was too young to go trick-or-treating, he went into an, an uncontrollable rage. He went outside In their front yard, there was an apple tree, and he began to punch this apple tree until his knuckles were raw and bloody. His dad came out and got him and and whipped him and sent him to his room. A few hours later, Ike was still crying into his pillow when his mother Ida got home. She walked into the room and and sat down next to him. And, And now Ida was sort of known as the oracle of the Eisenhower family. And she was always known to say things like, sink or swim, survive or perish. God deals the hand, you just have to deal them. Sort of a stern lady. But in this moment, she pulled a proverb out of her back pocket. Proverbs 16:32: He that conquereth his own soul is greater than he who taketh a city. At 76 years of age, as Ike surveyed the landscape of his life, He identified one defining moment as a moment that made all the difference in the world. He said, I've always looked back at that one moment as the most important moment in my entire life. To my youthful mind, he said, it seemed like she talked for an hour, but I suppose the whole affair ended in 15 or 20 minutes. Now, Ike Eisenhower would grow up to be president, serve two terms, But his greatest contribution probably came as the Supreme Allied Commander during Operation Overlord, where we liberated France, invaded Germany, and this was all initiated on D-Day, June 6, 1944. Self-control did not come naturally to Dwight D. Eisenhower. In fact, he ranks 125th out of 164th for discipline in his graduating class at West Point. And of all of his siblings, his mother, Ida, said, Ike, you are gonna have to learn the most about controlling your passions. When she bandaged his his hands on that fateful day, she warned him that anger only injures the person who harbors it. You see, long before the supreme allied commander could lead the most powerful army the world had ever seen to defeat the axis of evil, a 10-year-old boy had to learn how to conquer His soul. How are you doing at soul conquering lately? Religion will always focus on the outside, but relationship with God, it always starts on the inside. How's your heart doing? Does it feel full? Does it feel empty? How are your motives in this season? Are you doing the right things for the right reasons? How's your character? Our reputation is what everybody thinks about us, but our character is what God knows about us. How are you doing when when no one's around, when you're by yourself? How's your thought life? What are the things that that you're dwelling on? Is there any bitterness or unforgiveness on the inside? You see, when it comes to making room for God, the first step is to, to start on the inside And maybe for some of us this weekend, it would be about sort of cleaning out some dirt and grime that's gotten built up over time. Another way we make room for God is number two. Choose to prioritize God moments. Last month, I was at Reengage, our marriage ministry, and I was talking with two of the leaders there, and and they were saying that they really enjoyed the message the weekend before, but they weren't there. They were on vacation, but they were watching uh, on our app with their family. And I thought how cool that they would do that on vacation, that they would tune in and, and be involved in the service. And then a couple weekends ago, I was talking to some greeters at the front door, the people who say hi to you when you, when you walk into church. And it was this couple. And they were telling me about how this last summer they were on vacation and they were listening to, to Pastor Ben. And Pastor Ben had just returned from a trip to Alabama. And, and he was talking about eating barbecue, of course. And and they said it was crazy because we were on vacation in Alabama listening to Pastor Ben tell a story about eating barbecue in Alabama from a restaurant that we had eaten at the night before. Isn't that cool? And so what I took away from that story was that God wants us to eat more barbecue. <laughs> and he probably wants us to be connected as well. But mostly he wants us to eat more barbecue. Here's what I loved about those stories is that it just shows priority. That even in the midst of of vacation and and doing their own thing, that what God was doing was still front and center and they wanted to make room to hear from God and to stay connected at Timberlake. Let me me make this this really practical for, for a few moments. This Christmas season, there will be opportunities for God moments in your life. The only question is, will you prioritize them? Let me give you a few that, that we've created here at Timberlake for you. There's a Christmas devotional that's going to be coming out. Uh, Bryce and the team have been working really hard on it. It's, it's incredible. I was looking at it uh, just yesterday. Uh, you can sign up for it starting this weekend on your connection card, and it'll be coming out in a couple weeks. Take us through the, the Christmas season. It's just a great opportunity each day to set aside some time and, and sort of make some room for God. Would you sign up for that devotional? And then would you make it a a priority? Not at the end of the day, if I have some extra time and I remember, but say, you know what, I'm gonna intentionally make some room for God. There's also a a kid's Christmas experience card that'll be coming out at the end of the month. All the kids will be getting them. And and it's this card, and in each uh week there's these different challenges that they have to do at home. And so they have to like read a, a passage from the Bible or they have to do a craft or, or an activity together as a family. And then they bring it back on the weekend and they get a sticker or a stamp and they can, they can win prizes. And you say, why do we do that? Because we want kids at Timberlake to know that church is fun and God is fun. Some of us, we grew up in an environment where church and fun were mortal enemies and, and we don't want that to be the case here at Timberlake. There's also the Giving Tree. It, it's, it's up this weekend at all of our locations. Giving Tree is just an opportunity. There's tags on the tree and you can take them and buy a present for a child in need. Make the holiday season about more than just what we get with our families. Last year, you gave over 1,600 gifts and almost $4,000 in gift cards, which is just incredible. And then Christmas Eve is coming up. Next weekend, we're gonna be announcing the service times and, and what that'll all look like. And there's gonna be over 14 services across our locations. And this is just a great opportunity in the midst of the holiday season to say, you know what, it's, there's three days, lots of options. I'm gonna choose a service for our family and we're gonna go and celebrate what this season is all about. Would you make some space for that? And then would you maybe go a step further and invite someone to come with you the holiday season is a great opportunity where people are just a little bit more open to maybe coming to church and hearing about Jesus. And then maybe you'd consider taking it even further and say, I'm gonna, we're not only gonna attend a service, but our family, we're gonna serve at a service as well and make some space for other people. And then maybe you'd wanna develop some, some holiday traditions in this season. Uh, we've got a few uh, as our family. One of them is is that on Christmas morning, before we open presents, we read the Christmas story out of the Bible. It's just a simple way to remind our kids and us about what the day is all about. Prioritize God moments. In Luke 19, Jesus has an encounter with Zacchaeus. Here's what it says. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, He was the chief tax collector and he was wealthy. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus was a thief. He had stolen money from people, he had a bad reputation. But what's interesting is what Jesus doesn't say when he sees Zacchaeus. He doesn't say, Zacchaeus, you're a bad person, you need to change. Stop stealing, make it right, fix your stuff, do better. What does he do? He says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for lunch. Let's hang out. Let's spend some time together. And, And it happens so quickly in the text, you almost don't realize, but it's not until after Zacchaeus spends some time with Jesus that all of a sudden Zacchaeus stands up and he says, I want to change. I'm gonna give back. I'm gonna make things right after he spent some time with Jesus. Sometimes we can work so hard to change things about ourselves, can't we? For some of us, probably most of us, we're here this weekend, and there's some things that we wanna change about ourselves. And sometimes we we just try so hard to fix things. For some of you, you're here, and and it's somebody else in your life. It's a husband or a wife. It's one of your kids. It's a friend. There's some behaviors that you're trying to change in them now it's not in the text but my guess is that Zacchaeus had some people in his life that wanted him to change as well and they had maybe even talked to him about it said Zacchaeus you know you got to do better but it wasn't until he spent time with Jesus that all of a sudden that changed everything you see sometimes we try so hard to change But if we would just invite Jesus into the center of our hearts and our lives, and if we would just spend time with him, that could change everything. And even spiritual disciplines, they move from a have to to a want to as my heart begins to change, as I choose to prioritize God moments in my life. And then part of that is number three. Focus on doing good, not feeling bad. In his book, Grace is Greater, author and pastor Kyle Eidelman, he tells a story about being on vacation with his wife in Destin, Florida, and they were, they were checking out of this condo, and it was 10.05, and they were supposed to have checked out at 10 o'clock, and so they're sort of rushing around and trying to do those last-minute checkout items that you have to do, you know, like take the sheets off the bed and start the dishwasher and, and all of that. When, when the cleaning man came in and he said, it's, it's after 10 o'clock, you guys are supposed to be gone. And so they apologized and said, sorry. And, and they, they grabbed their stuff and they left. And they went down from their third floor condo that they had rented and they went out to their car in the parking lot. And they were putting stuff in the car when all of a sudden the cleaning man came out onto the balcony and started to yell down at them. And he said, he said, hey, you guys, Thanks for starting the dishwasher. There's only a few things we ask you guys to do, and you couldn't even bleep and press the button. Now, this is where I start to really like the story, because I am drawn to stories of pastors who don't behave the way they should. It's probably why I like working with Pastor Ben so much. Oh. <laughs> and so Eidelman, he, he looks up in this guy, and, and he says, oh, I'm so sorry. It must have been so difficult for you to press the button. I'm so sorry you had to press the button. And then he gets in his car while the cleaning man is raining down swear words at him. Now, this is where the story should have ended. But Idleman, he's sitting in his car and he's sort of steaming. And he looks over to his wife and he goes, I'm going back up there. This guy, he needs to hear some hard truth. So he gets out and he starts to head back up and he hears his wife yell from the car, say a quick prayer on your way up. <laughs> so he starts heading to the third floor and he's just mad and he's, he's heading up and by the time he reaches the first floor, he starts to feel a little uh, embarrassed about what he's doing. By the time he reaches the second floor, he's asking God to forgive him. And by the time he reaches the third floor, he's reaching into his pocket to try to find a tip for the man but all he has is a $100 bill. And so he walks in and he says, listen, I'm so sorry. I know it must be difficult to try to clean and, and, and do this when, when there's only just a few things you ask people to do and, and they can't even be bothered to do those things. And so I'm so sorry. Here is a tip for, for just for your extra work and, and just to try to make things right. And he hands him the $100 bill. And the guy looks at him and he goes, you bleepity. No, he doesn't say that, I'm kidding. That would have been a horrible story. Never would have made his book. The guy starts to get a little teary. And he looks at him and he says, well, I wasn't expecting that. And Idleman says that he got a little emotional and he wanted to give the guy a hug, but he played it cool and and just shook his hand and, and then he walked away. And what I love about this story is that he didn't just stop at the first floor or the second floor and feel stupid and embarrassed and walk back down to his car and leave. That's probably what I would have done. He didn't just feel bad, he did something good. And and honestly, for me, of, of this whole message, this is probably the point that I struggle with the most not beating myself up and feeling discouraged when I don't live up to some expectations that I've put on myself. Sometimes we can be our own worst critics, can't we? And sometimes, when our self-talk can just, just get so negative. And, and I know for me, if I'm not careful, what I'll do is I'll just get to a place where I just feel bad and I'm discouraged and I'm not actually getting any better. Lamentations 322 says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new. When? Every month. No. They are new once a year. No, what does it say? They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Every day. Every day. Every single day is a fresh start. Every single day is a new chance. His grace is new every single day. This is where you say, you know what? I'm not gonna feel bad about what I haven't done. I may not have been the spiritual leader in my house up until this point but I'm going to do better. You know what? I may have started reading my Bible and stopped more times than I can count. I'm not going to just feel bad. I'm going to sign up for the Christmas devotional and I'm going to try again. You know, every time we, we, talk, we just get in this fight and this argument, it just never seems to go anywhere. I've tried so many times and, and it never works. I'm just going to focus on doing better. Forward facing faith. You know who's great at this? My dog, Boston. We have a Yorkshire Terrier. And do you know how he chooses to live his life? No regrets. And if anyone should have regrets, it is him because he eats poop. And then he gets in trouble. And then 10 minutes later, he's feeling great about himself. He only lives in the moment. I'm not gonna focus on feeling bad. I'm gonna focus on doing good. And then finally, number four, guard your grip. Guard your grip. This is where we choose to to hold on to Jesus like this and hold on to everything else like this. In this season of life that you find yourself in, do you need to hold on to Jesus a little bit tighter? Maybe you need to hold on to some other things a little bit looser. Look at what Solomon says in Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord, With all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. What does He mean, paths straight? That God will make our path straight. I used to think straight meant perfect. But I was listening to this podcast of Stephen Curtis Chapman. He's a Christian music artist who has more awards than any single recording artist in Christian music history. And if you don't know his story, uh, his five-year-old daughter years ago was playing in the front yard and his teenage son uh, came home and pulled up in their SUV and she ran out to, to greet him and, and he didn't see her and he, he struck her and, and she passed away. And I remember hearing about this story and and my heart, just as a dad thinking about my two kids, and and as a parent, that, that's your worst nightmare. And some of you, you have gone through darkness like that. And I was listening to this podcast, and I think if you asked Stephen, has your life been perfect? I think he would say no. But if you asked him, has God made your paths straight? I think he would say yes. He was saying that, that he has learned to, to trust in God and rely on God in ways that he had never thought possible. And he said in moments when, when he would remember and when emotions would well up and when he would be, be angry and sad and he, would, he, would, he said he would drive the stake into the ground and he would say, God, this is most true. The the pain is true. The anger is real. The questions are real. The hurt is real. But what is most real and what is most true is that you are God and you are faithful. Some of us in this season of life, are our lives are sort of zigging and zagging this way and that. And we're saying, you know, God, what are you doing? And where are you in the midst of this? And and why is this happening? And I think God would say, if you'll let me, I will make your paths straight. Not perfect, but straight. Straight to me and straight to my love. If you'll choose to hold on to Jesus like this and hold on to everything else like this. Let me pray for you. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.